Good to be here. Now, just to preamble, um, Romans, I think if you've got your Bibles, it might be worth looking up. I think page 11, um, is it page 1128? It's the beginning of Romans. So if you could find a Bible, and um, that would be a good place to start. <clears throat> In Romans 8, which is a passage for today, we, um, we encounter, celebrate, and share the three persons of the Trinity. It's one of the places in the Bible that you can do that. Um, but it has a strong emphasis, the sermon today, on the work of the Holy Spirit. And um, I was digging out an ancient prayer, didn't trust my own, but I've slightly adapted it. And maybe this is the prayer that can be the refrain uh, within the sermon and even now. Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful people and kindle in us the fire of your transforming love. Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful people and kindle in us the fire of your transforming love. Come, Holy Spirit. Our journey through Paul's letter to Romans began with the first sermon focusing on Romans 1.16 with the bold proclamation that Paul was not ashamed of the gospel because it was the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believed, Jews and Gentiles. We were reminded in Romans 3, if you want to look it up, 23 and 24, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are put into right relationship with God only through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We realise that we're dependent on God's grace But we're not to use that as a license to do exactly what we want to do. Romans 6 verses 1 and 2. Shall we go on sinning so that grace will increase? It's a nice concept. The answer is, I spelled it out for you last week. One word, two letters, N-O. By no means. With God's help, we're called to reflect on his manifest presence in our lives through what we say and what we do. Today's passage makes most sense to me, and it does take a lot of making sense of if we first read Romans chapter 7. I was in the pub the other night. I don't spend all my life in the pub. Alison invited me out um, to meet some of the people that she works with. And as you do, they were asking, they're not Christians, what are you preaching on on Sunday? So I took them to Romans 7. How do you explain that? This conflict that's going on between the sinful nature and the nature of the Spirit. And Paul talking about how he wants to do the right sort of things. He knows the right things to do, but there's everything conspiring within him to do the wrong thing. I said, does anyone else feel like that? They sort of nodded. Anyone here feel like that? We know the right thing to do, but we keep on doing the other thing. And Paul says of himself, and we shouldn't speak these words of condemnation over ourselves. Okay, so I don't know what he's playing at, but what a wretched man I have. Who will deliver me from this, I suppose, body of death? Romans 7, 18b, for I have the desire to do what's good, but I cannot carry it out. 
Romans 7, 19, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do, I don't want to do. This is what I keep on doing. Verse 24, I've already quoted it. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from the body which is subject to death? But not the end of the story. Verse 25, thanks be to God who delivers me through and only through the Lord Jesus Christ. I find this so encouraging. Some of you have already nodded. You recognize this battle that's going on. Then there's the wonderful assurance, and I'm not understating this at all, the wonderful assurance that starts uh, Romans 8, page 1134, verse 1. I quote this all the time. If you're ever in a sort of a counselling situation, I think this passage brings more healing, this verse, than many, many, many others. There is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So now just a whistle-stop tour through Romans 8 verses 3 and 4 shows the conflict and contrast between being controlled by the law or by the Holy Spirit. Living by rules and regulations was not the answer to the problem of sin. We, as we remind ourselves regularly, the Old Testament law teaches us that the punishment for sin is death But God sent Jesus to be a sin offering for all, so that through the cross we can be free from the consequences of sin. He is, if you like, our eternal sin offering. And more than covers our sin and the sin of the whole world. Hard to get your head around. How astonishing is that? The Holy Spirit then gives us the inclination and the ability to live God's way, not our way. Verses 5 to 11 raises the question, who and what has power over us? I'm going to come back to that. Um, But those who live life their own way without reference to God and the Spirit cannot please him. When we live by the Spirit, sin no longer has power, no longer has mastery over us. Verses 12 to 17, if you're still following Romans 8, deals with the wonder of our our adoption into God's family. Our faith choices dictate our uh, eternal destiny. It's a matter of life and death. The invitation is to live by the Spirit and be adopted as his children and share all the benefits that Jesus enjoys as a result of his death and resurrection. Verses 18 to 27, we will overcome. There'll be struggles and hardships as children of God and followers of Jesus, but the Holy Spirit will help us in our weakness and we will overcome. I think there's a song about that. I won't get you to sing it. Some happy day. Anyway, we live in freedom as we wait expectantly for all creation to be liberated. And that includes us and um, verses 35 to 39, nothing can separate us from God's love and nothing means nothing. There's so much that we could focus on in Romans 8, but I've got three things. First, no condemnation in Christ. Secondly, and I'm sort of squeezing two things in here, who or what control has control over our thinking and being? Who do we live to please? And thirdly, our adoption as children of God. So firstly, 
sort of brace yourself for this one. How willing would you, would we be, at doing a very honest, no guilt or condemnation appraisal of yourself? You probably do this all the time. Not quite looking in the mirror. It's a mirror that looks into our hearts and into our minds and into our motivations. Did anyone pick up this week, I don't know where I read it, but something about lie detector tests? Has anyone been reading about this? It's just me that noticed this. I don't know where it was, but uh, apparently you can, get, um, you can get them done. And I was just wondering about introducing them into um, Holy Trinity Claygate. And when to sort of write the paper to take the PCC. But what I sussed out with my little exploration on the internet is that you can beat a lie detector test. And if you want to know how to do that, you can go onto the internet and find out, would you want to do that? Would you want to cheat the test? Apparently it sort of measures impulses in the body, maybe sweaty hands, I don't know, respiratory things. I've noticed that Ed Syke within the congregation here, she can vouch whether I'm uh, uh, saying the right things or not, but it does stuff to ourselves and it does stuff to our heads and I think you can even measure that sort of stuff. Does anyone want to have that sort of test as we come in just before confession in Holy Trinity Claygate? Put your hands up if you think that would be a good idea. Well, the thing is, we're probably not going to introduce that in the next couple of weeks or so, but know this, that there's nothing that you think or feel that the Lord Almighty doesn't know. And when we meet him face to face, there's going to be nothing hidden. There's going to be no lies. We're going to be bust. I mean, he's a loving God and a merciful God, but this is going to be truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God. Telling the truth is sometimes hard, but facing it, accepting it and dealing with it is even harder. Some of us are tempted to beat ourselves up, can sometimes see the bad, and this is not what I'm trying to encourage at all, and fail to see the good that God's done and continues to do in our lives. Some of the most famous saints are only too aware of their shortcomings but it makes them even more aware of the grace of God that's at work. If there's any consultation, um, consolation, Romans 7 um, isn't the end of the story. It leads to Romans 8, the wonder of grace that we get um, when we face ourselves and the truth but we're facing ourselves and the truth in our lives through the lens of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't see all that dodgy stuff. And when we own up to it, he helps us to work with it. Um, when I was at um, All Saints Ilkley, next to us we used to have a building and we um, let it out for free to a prayer community that used to come uh, it's called The Sanctuary. I commend their website to you. Wonderful prayer materials that, um, around worship and social justice that they just wrote and they give, gave, gave for free. Lots of different prayer exercises. Now, I need to confess to you that I have, um, in my um, former existence, 
like on this planet. I've had a, quite a narrow focus when it's come to mission. So my passion is leading people to Christ. Like that sort of ticks all the boxes and I get quite a bit of mission as well. And you can tick that box as well. But God's mission, I found out when I went to them, was a little bit bigger than my mission. And one of the things that when I was at school that we didn't talk about um, was our eco footprint. So imagine my horror when I went to one of their prayer meetings. They said, we're going to do a no condemnation test on anyone about the sort of eco footprint. You know, whether I'm an environmentally friendly person or not, vicar of the church. Like, what am I going to say? That I'm absolutely rubbish at this sort of thing and you can stone me now? But we went through the test and it was asking about sort of food miles and air miles and um, my shopping habits and whether I bought products with a little frog on. Have you seen those before? Do you know what they mean? Suggest that we get out there, church, and find out. It's quite important to buy products with little frogs on them. And fair, yeah, there you go. You've learned something this way. That's all you learn. Um, it's a good thing. And you know about the fair trade symbols. Like, we, we are on the same page. It's like you're getting me here. I think so, right. But I didn't do very well in this test. Recycling habits, I've got much better at that over the years, but isn't it a pain? Like you get all messy and everything. Like why? It was just so much easier in the olden days where we didn't have to give us stuff. Reactions varied around the room when we shared our stories. I was feeling a bit awkward about it, but you know what? It wasn't about feeling awkward. It was about changing my behaviours and habits that was the important thing. But that tougher question at the end is that how comfortable would I, we be to run a different sort of test about other areas of my life that I may or may not want to put under scrutiny? It's a tough one, isn't it? And we're not to do this, not about condemnation. This is about honest appraisal of ourselves. And in the light of the honest appraisal to know the assurance that we find in Romans 8 1 therefore now there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ through Jesus Christ the law of the spirit gives life and has set us free from the law of sin and death and God did this by sending his only son in the likeness of sinful humanity to be a sin offering for me and for you, and for the whole world. There is an offence when it comes to our sin, yes, but condemnation, no. There is judgment, yes, but punishment, no. There is conviction by the Holy Spirit, but also regeneration by that same Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings freedom. Freedom from fear, although we don't always own it. Freedom from the controlling sinful influences that are around us, although we might need to change one or two behaviours. Freedom from fleshly desires, though they're kicking around quite a bit, but God doesn't want them to have mastery over us. Freedom from condemnation. We can be Guilt and shame free. Verse 1 again. Therefore, 
there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And I'll allow myself an hallelujah for that one. Amen. Question. In what ways do we still live under condemnation? Where would you like God to set you free? The Holy Spirit searches our hearts and minds, exposes and convicts attitudes and behaviors in us, but he doesn't condemn. He forgives and sets us free. The prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful people and kindle in us the fire of your transforming love. Come, Holy Spirit. The second area of uh, exploration who or what controls our thinking and being? Who do we live to please? Do we live to please God? Many years ago, I don't know how I ended up there, but I was taken, we started worshipping a church. It was just after we got married. I wasn't a practicing Christian, but I'd probably gone on some basic course or other. I found myself in church on Sunday. And surprisingly, in a prayer meeting, on, I don't know, a midweek night. Now, do you remember those prayer meetings, midweek nights? We used to do them as churches, you know. People used to come in their droves to things like that. What's happened? Anyway, I went to one of these things. The vicar thought it was good for us to read Romans 8. And that was a bit of a problem for me because I was a vicar's son and I paid no attention for the first 24 years of my life. So this is an awkward thing. Would I find Romans 8? Would I understand it? And it's hard enough to understand if you've been reading it quite a few times anyway. So he said that we were to read and it was all right. We could stop as God prompted us to stop. Anything that jumped out of the page at you is that you're allowed to stop. This is me speaking as a non-practicing Christian and reading this Bible. So... And what you need to know is that I didn't get very far into Romans 8 before the Lord stopped me. So I'm going to test you on this, okay? Are you sitting comfortably? Verse 5, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed, governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Boom. I read that and I wasn't able to go any further. I read that and there was such a deep conviction in me. It never occurred to me. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile, hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Like I was on the other side. I wasn't part of God's family. And as long 
as I didn't allow God's sort of full reign in my life, I wasn't just sort of a nice person bumbling along doing my own thing. I was actually living a life that was hostile to God and what he'd come to do. It had a deep impact. If you feel like that, the chances are, like me, that you're not a full card-carrying member of the Christian faith. And I needed to do something about it. And if you feel the same, I just commend it to you. But it took me a little time to come round to doing something about it. And, and me, it took a little while before I got to verse 8 and 9 and 10 and the rest of it. But those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. I've already said that. Verse 9. And I long to be able to say this in freedom. You, who, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit. And actually for me, encountering God's life-giving spirit when I came to faith is a really, really big deal. Some of us feel something, others don't. It happens anyway. As soon as you do, it doesn't matter for me. God shook me from head to foot. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you and he lives in all Christians. And anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Verse 13, a sobering reminder, if you live according to the flesh, you'll die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. We're talking about this in the staff meeting, and um, most of our illustration a little bit inadequate, but here's one anyway, and it's probably rubbish, but anyone got a computer around here? Anyone's computer ever, ever go wrong from time to time? Have any of you, when your computer's ever gone wrong, given over control of your computer to someone beyond the space? You know, you can do that. And you sort of hand over maybe a few passcodes and this, that and the other. All of a sudden there's this thing happening on your screen that you've got no... You need to be pretty sure the person at the other end of the phone is quite trustworthy, don't you? Or, for instance, another example, maybe some of you have phoned someone up and asked for a little bit of help, and they might help you to run a few virus checks and this, that, and the other. And I'm just thinking about sort of control of computers, but think about the control of your life. I suppose the illustration is that you, when you invite God into your life by his spirit, you let him get into the depths of your being to control maybe the hard drive, and maybe to start with your help to clean up some of the software as well. And you do that because you trust him. But we pick up a lot of, and I can't think of a a polite way of saying it, from time to time, rubbish will do, from time to time. Sometimes it needs to be re-cleaned. We're under different authority. God has got access codes maybe to the central management system but we pick up a lot of from time to time as Christians we might want to ask ourselves if we dare to have an honest appraisal of our inner workings who do we live to serve who's in control over us as Christians we need the help of God to live our lives in ways that are more intentional 
in bringing glory and pleasure to him. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful people and kindle in us the fire of your transforming love. Come, Holy Spirit. The third um, area of exploration is about adoption, our adoption as God's children. Adoption in the purest form is one of the most wonderful expressions of God's unconditional love. I heard quite a few stories about Adoption. There's some people within this congregation that have adopted others. I just think it's extraordinary. It's saying that I choose you. I take you to be in my family as an equal member of my family. We'll have heard stories of um, orphans and children in refugee camps like in Calais and the UK government making steps, faltering steps sometimes to make this still a country although we're really wary of people who are not like us, but to, to give the possibility that some orphans that are caught up in all sorts of horrible situations might find homes. Finding the right home with a loving family, I think is a really tough job. There's um, members of my previous church that couldn't have children. They've just this last week been accepted as folks that can adopt a child, I think they're looking for twins or two. It's incredibly courageous, but incredibly loving. What a wonderful home. Slightly different example. I used to do loads and loads of weddings, but not that long ago, there was a, um, one of the brides um, was quite particular about who she wanted to lead her down the aisle. And um, she'd been rejected by her biological father and brought up all her life um, by someone who had adopted her into the family. She wanted her stepfather, her adopted father, even though the other one was still alive, to lead her down the aisle. He's the one that's been a father to me. He's the one that has the right, if you like, to, to give me away. The father-child relationship is not always a great one, uh, although many Many are, and at its best, it's just the most wonderful of relationships. Um, we got four children. Um, they might not like it, and I wouldn't be strong enough, but it's quite hard to pick them up and give them a cuddle now. But I have done that, and I know what it feels like. It was really interesting. Um, Rich and I saw Jamie in, in one of the local cafes just recently and, and, and him and Emily were there with their little baby, Noah. You should, where's Jamie? You should see him now cuddling this baby. It like does something to you, does something to him and does something to the baby. Babies need cuddles. They need talking to. They need interaction. I think some of that sort of captured in Romans 8 For those 14, verse 14, that are led by the Spirit of God, are children of God, 
The spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again, but rather the spirit you receives, uh, received brought you out of your adopt out brought you your adoption to sonship. And by him, and we all know this, we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. Sonship, a child of God, cries out, I suppose, their dependency. Babies don't know how to say very much, but they cry. And as soon as they learn how to speak, I think I've said this to you before, the first word that ours were brainwashed to say was Dada. The Spirit himself, verse 16, testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. One of the most liberating revelations we can have is when the Spirit of God testifies with our spirits that we are God's beloved children. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful people and kindle in us the fire of your transforming love. Come, Holy Spirit.